The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. your attention this morning to Mark chapter 9. We're in Mark chapter 9 this morning. And Mark chapter 9 is where we're going to be the next few weeks as we continue our study through the book of Mark. And today uh, the title of the sermon is called The Power of Prayer in an Evil World. And uh, I just want to remind you, you know, this last month we've had some topical sermons. We, we preached through some different topics of interest, of some questions through our nine marks and through some other things. I just want to remind you that uh, uh, the usual way we do is what we do this morning. It's called the verse-by-verse, the expository preaching of God's Word. brings the whole diet of God's Word. Uh, But uh, even in my bones, I felt this week that uh, uh, it's not as exciting as preaching about church attendance. You know, get everyone riled up, let's go to church, let's go to church, do this sort of thing. But praise God, His Word does not change. And this is just as meaningful for us as a special topic of interest was to our church this last week. If you're watching online, we welcome you as well. But this morning, Mark chapter 9, and we are covering church 15 verses out of the book of Mark. Amen? That's more than we've moved in a month at times, even even two months. So uh, thank God for Mark putting this in here for that reason, but more importantly for others we'll look at. Well, as the, as the slide on the, the uh, uh, screen will show, it says, if your pastor refuses to rebuke sin, x-ray his spine, and you'll find he won't have one. Um, hopefully, I have a spine this morning, but it is what it is. But I can remember growing up, I had a mentor pastor. His name was Eric Martin from uh, uh, Plattsburgh and Gower at the time. And, and growing up, he was very zealous time and time again to do two things. He was committed to warn me. And he was committed always to rebuke me. And uh, he kind of stood in my life in several times. And there would be times I'd get up again and again, and, and he would bring me back and, and say, Darren, you know, that's not what a Christian should do. That's not what a Christian believes. And I remember just thinking, dude, give it a rest. Give it up. Stop it. Stop talking to me. If you want to lecture me, can you put that in those days on a tape recorder? And I'll press play when I want to press play, Right. But today it's MP3s and you never know. And I, and I never said that to him, but he was always so zealous to make sure that my Christian life was in line with everything that it should have been in line with. And I realize now that my pastor at that time was loving me. In fact, it was one of the most loving things he could have ever done to me. He loved the Lord and he warned me again and again of the dangers of sin the dangers of temptation, and the dangers of evil. But I remember looking at him and thinking, man, if I could just knock you one, I would. But my mom is the preschool director, and that's not good either. So that just can't happen. But because he loved me in the Lord, he'd rebuke me again for my disobedience in ways because I said I was a Christian, and I was here, and God was moving this way, and he wanted that same direction. 
And that is in a real way what we're looking at this morning, a warning and a rebuke before us, church. And this passage is for us because we need both, because our Savior loves us. And he will again and again warn us and rebuke us until we are fully formed in his likeness. You cannot write this down, but Proverbs 27, verse 6 says this. <clears throat> it says, faithful are the friend, wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You ever been there in that in your life before? Where someone comes to you and, and, and tells you the truth? Because the people who love you the most tell you the most truth. That is what the scripture says. And in the middle of our doubts, Jesus offers not rebuke, but compassion. Our Savior will confront us, he will rebuke us, he will correct us, and he will discipline us. But one thing our Savior will never do, he will never turn his back on us. So what does this apply to our message today about powerful prayer? Because these disciples are going to see something that most people never see, and they're going to miss the basic foundational truth they should have already known. Here we are again, but yet in his love, God warns them, rebukes them, but brings them comfort. So can our, I mean, can our prayers then really make a difference in this world if God is going to rebuke us sometimes for it? How do we overcome evil in this world? Those are things we're going to talk about. But I want you to see today that prayer calls us to abandon the present in the big idea as my only lens to life and commits me to a life of eternity. When I feel too busy and distracted to pray, my problem is not prayerlessness, but godlessness. I'm treating God as if he doesn't matter and doesn't exist. And my list of the really bad sins is not that bad because I have not even sought the God who will tell me what I need to do to take care of those things. Friends, I pray this morning that as we are rebuked, perhaps for our lack of prayerlessness this morning, that we see that through our rebuke that God will give us, that God is so good. You know, last night on Facebook, I did an informal survey of pastors, and Nelson is on this group, a few other people in this room are on these groups, and I asked, outside of your devotions and emergency times, how many hours, pastor, do you pray through the week? Usually these polls on Facebook, you'll get like 100 responses literally sometimes within 10 minutes. There were seven responses after 12 hours this morning. One pastor, a good friend who may watch this later, down in First Baptist Buffalo, his name is David Van Beber. If you need to follow someone, you follow him. He's a great preacher. He said, you know, as a pastor, I feel so ashamed to write this. There are times I spend more time, more time with people than I spend time in prayer. And yet I wonder why things don't move in the church as God wants it to move. He was so honest. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe this morning as we look at this episode that you ask yourself the question, Lord, am I truly praying as I ought to pray? Or am I trying to do things in my strength to change things? But friends, it only comes through the time of prayer. So three observations this morning I want you to see about prayer and evil. This is not the most well-organized sermon, but I, I just want to make some observations and apply them as we look at this episode. First, I want you to see that there's a warning against the evil of evils. As Christ brings a story after a great episode a month ago where he was transfigured before these disciples, he's going to warn them again about the evil that's before them. He's also going to remind us that we are powerless 
to defeat evil in our lives. And finally, that the power of Christ has over the demonic. And it's been about five weeks since we've been in Mark, but you may recall, if you look back at your Bible, back in uh, chapter 9, that Jesus had gone up on the mountain, and he was getting, he, he didn't get ready, he got up, and he transfigured himself. He showed them all his glory. You may remember this. And the disciples still didn't get it. They didn't, Peter didn't even know what to say. You remember that? Peter had his mouth closed for the first time. And they come down off the mountain on a high spiritually. And as soon as they get off that spiritual high, reality confronts them once more. Because Jesus is in the midst of an argument between the other nine disciples and the lawyers, the scribes, who are ready to take him down at any opportunity. But Jesus is going to rebuke, he's going to warn them, and he's going to comfort them. And as he does that, he points back to this one truth, that if they are not willing to pray, they are not willing to seek the face of God, then they cannot have the blessings of God that come with that. With that in mind, will you join me in standing this morning uh, as we read through Mark chapter 9? If you're able this morning, Mark chapter 9, 14 through 29. Very familiar passage of Scripture, very encouraging passage of Scripture, but one that we need to be reminded of, that God is so faithful to us. And this is the evil that we face. This is the things that are in front of us. But through the power of God working through prayer, He will see these things through. Hear God's word this morning. Mark 9, 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. So they're coming off the mountain. They're, they're there. And it says, the scribes are arguing with them. <clears throat> and immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed. And they ran up and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. Verse 19, and he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, Immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Verse 21 says, And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it's often cast him into the fire to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Here's the rebuke. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw a crowd coming together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And verse 26, and after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and arose. And when he asked them, and when he had entered rather into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Wow. Why does Mark take so much time to spend on this? He takes so much time because he's reminding us that we cannot be 
go from a spiritual high and get back into that mode that we are able to do the spiritual life called the Christian life by ourselves. We are dependent on God's grace and prayer every moment, every day, until Christ calls us home. Will you pray with me this morning as we start? Father, as uh, my voice slips in and out, your word does not slip in and out. It's very firm, and I thank you for that. Thank you that your word never takes a day off. Your word never gets sick. Your word never needs medicine. It is exactly what we need by your grace. So, Father, may your spirit enliven our hearts. May you quicken us to know your word. May you illuminate our hearts to know more of you. Even if it's things we already know, Lord, may we be found faithful to do them. Lord, thank you for both believer and unbeliever alike. May your will be done this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Maybe seated. Thank you. Well, as we come to this time, I just want to remind you that, that this is really a very interesting episode. You know that word from Mark as you studied it the last year and a half, that Mark loves that word immediately. And it's used twice in this passage. But Mark wants us to see that from the spiritual high of the disciples, they now get back to reality. You've had this happen before, many of you. You go to a conference. You go to a weekend retreat. You get together with Christian friends, and it's awesome, as it should be. And then you have to step back into the mundane of real life. And you think, how can a Christian, how do I take what I had happen here to there? If that is you this morning, the one ingredient you may be lacking for a vibrant Christian life is prayer, is prayer. But this man, they come down, and Jesus walks into this crowd, and what are you arguing about? And he's going to warn them first off, as Adam will put up there, but the warning about the evil of evils. Notice what this man says. He says, teacher, I brought to you my son. It doesn't say how old he is. It just says his son. He has a spirit. Let's, let's be very clear. The spirit is a demon. Do demons still exist today? You betcha. Can they possess a Christian? Nada. They can't. Can they still uh, wreak havoc in churches and other places uh, by God's allowance? Yes, they can tempt us. But, but this, this boy has had a spirit. It seizes him. It throws him down. It foams. Ooh, and this one gets me every time. It grinds his teeth. Uh, our son Seth was doing that recently just because he's one and a half. That's what they do. And it's like, dude, stop. You know, nails on a chalkboard. It's like, ooh. And he foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. You know what that is. He, be he becomes like locked in, almost like uh, uh, some states of paralysis are. But there, this is what I want you to see, that, that this, this, this man that Christ engages his father. He's warning us here, Christ is, against the evil of evil. I mean, you see in specific detail how evil life can be, how evil things are. You look down at verse 22, it says it often cast him into the fire. This demon was trying to physically take the life of this young man. And this is what evil does. It's always destructive. It never produces any good. It, it, it never gives life. It never leads to good fruit. Evil is evil, bottom line. Would you agree with that? But we live in a day and an age where if you ask someone, why is it wrong to take a baby out of a mother's womb and not call it murder, but at the same time, it's, okay, it's not okay if they were born after the fact. We don't understand that. Our culture has totally misbalanced what is truth. But here's the problem. Evil doesn't always appear evil to us. Sometimes evil looks beautiful. Sometimes it looks downright attractive. I mean, if I'm 
walking down uh, Independence Center, because that's the closest mall. We don't have Metro North anymore, right? And who goes to Zona Rosa anyway? But that's another story. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, I, we came from the south of the river, not the north. But if there's a man walking down the aisle of the mall and he's lusting after a woman, he doesn't see evil, he sees beauty, doesn't he? He, even though what he's doing is destructive to his heart, if he's married, destructive to his relationship. It looks attractive and beautiful. Or, or if you're listening to gossip, maybe that gossip doesn't seem evil at the moment, that the scandalizing details seem exciting, and the evil doesn't look so bad at the moment. Or if you've broken the law and you've gotten your own way, there's a buzz of self-sovereignty that you feel, and it feels like you have power. Man, I drove 35 in a 34, you know. You feel that buzz, and you feel independent. It feels good, but rebellion is never good. Disobedience is never good. Lust is never good. Gossip, stealing, pride, evil is evil. And what you are seeing here is a picture of a warning against the evil of evils. As these men go into this situation, they need to realize what they are facing. And friends, I want to remind you today that Satan meant for evil, but God has meant all things for good. Do you believe that? Satan doesn't create evil things. He can't. He's not a creator, but he perverts the good things of God. This is why Job 2.10 says, Shall we receive from God and not receive evil? You have no privacy, no exclusion, because God will bring every secret thing in to justice. And what this man is seeing in front of him and his son is such evil that it literally wants to kill him. It literally wants to take his life. And what does this mean for us? I can't help but pastor you here for a moment, but is there something in your life where you are tempted to look at what God says is evil and see it as less than evil? And Adam will put that question up for you on the screen. Because this man comes to him, they've probably tried doctors, they've probably tried prayers, they've probably tried everything. But he does not understand how evil this thing really is. Because this man brings his son, and his son is possessed by the most rebellious creature God has ever created outside of man. And those are the fallen angels, the demons. And evil doesn't often feel evil, it feels good. And this demon is taking in full advantage of that. This demon, in his fallen state, wants to see this boy destroyed. And they do not understand that the only thing that they can do is turn to Christ. And this man is leading that way. You notice that the man doesn't say to the scribes here, hey, you might be right, or the disciples, hey, you might be right. He just goes to Jesus. Do you notice that? He goes straight to Jesus because he gets it to the point of, look, these disciples can't help me. These Religious Pharisee guys can't help me. The only one that can help me now is Jesus Christ. It's so bad. It's so evil. But friends, I ask you this morning, are you toying with things that lead to destruction? Are you toying with things that lead to, with your mind, your desires, or your physical body, and you, unlike this man to some degree, just don't see how bad it is? You think it's okay. I would pray for all of us this morning that you would receive the warning from this passage, and that takes us to point number two. I want you to see our utter powerlessness to defeat evil in our lives. 
We have to embrace our utter powerlessness to defeat evil in our lives. How many times have we tried to solve a sin in our lives by ourselves? Man, if I just try harder, if I just do better, if I just read my Bible more, those are great things. But Jesus reminds us here that there is no independent, self-sufficient ability to defeat evil whatsoever. Maybe we have an ability to expose evil. Maybe we have an ability to restrain it, but we cannot kill it. And when the disciples are in unbelief and self-reliance trying to deliver the boy, they have no power at all. They have nothing to bring to the table. And this means that there is never a time in your life when you should not have a needy heart. There's never a time in your life when you should not have a needy heart. And you'll see that on the screen. This man was so needy. What do you do? I mean, what do you do when your kid is throwing himself in the fire by, by, by this demon? I mean, what can you do? He's at his rope's end like several people we've seen in the book of Mark. But First Samuel 2.8 reminds us that Christ always lifts the needy from the ash heap. Don't you love that? Christ goes to the dump to find discarded people to love them and prop them back up. Isn't that amazing? We can't do it ourselves. Only Christ can. Isaiah 41.17 says, When the needy seek water, there is none, but I, the Lord, will answer them. And in Colossians 2.6, it says, As you've received the Lord in a needy, desperate way, so walk in Him. Friends, in your life, this is what you need to see. Because in order for us to grow closer to Christ in powerful prayer, we need to see that we have nothing to bring to the table. We have nothing as a church to bring to the table. We have nothing as a pastor to bring to the table. We only have the powerful prayers that God gives us in his name. If there's any ability to beat Jesus in us, Jesus would not have had to come. The cross argues our hopelessness. The cross argues our helplessness. There's no hope apart from his transforming grace. But did you see what Jesus said to them? Look back here at verse 19. Don't you love Jesus? Oh, faithless generation, how long do I have to be with you? You silly people, don't you get it yet? You silly guys, how long do I have to bear with you? Now, husbands, you might say that to your wife quite a lot. But wives, I guarantee you, they say that more to you than you realize. How long do I have to be with you? And Jesus should have just stopped right there. He should have just said, enough is enough. I can't stop it. I'm done doing miracles. But he doesn't do that. Praise God for this. He says, bring him to me. And Jesus is speaking directly to the disciples. And he's essentially saying, how long will you not understand? How long will you respond in unbelief? How long do you need to see my power? How long do you see my willingness? How long? And after I've done that, do you still not believe? And listen, in grief and rebuke, there is grace. Jesus gives them a do-over yet again. I love the scripture that says in Romans, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Because church, we've been here before as a church, speaking generally as a church, not just Tower View, as Christians. God, I think I got the formula right. If I can post a scripture verse on my Facebook then the whole world is going to come to know Jesus Christ. I figured it out. Or God, you know what? If I just put one of those cool bumper stickers on the back of my car, 
that says I'm a Christian, then the whole world, when they see me drive past them 20 miles over the speed limit, they're all going to see about Jesus. Because, Lord, you know if I speed, the more people I'll see. So, therefore, I've won the world for you. Oh, thank God for rebuke, warning, there is grace. He's not saying, I've had it, Jesus isn't, it's over, I've given you, it's over. The question is really a call to these men, once again, to get rid of self-reliance, to get rid of unbelief and find their hope in the Savior. That is called grace. And that is exactly what's going on here. And look at verses 25 and 26. I told you we're just doing some observations here. But look back at verse 25 and 26, and it says, uh, Jesus says immediately, the, verse 24 will back up, the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw a crowd coming, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. As the boy comes, we see another display of evil overtaking him. The boy convulses, he falls to the ground, he rolls around. What an ugly scene, and what a horrible thing for this boy. Well, maybe if someone would say if he just had the right medication, he'd be all right. What a horrible thing for this family. And Jesus asks him, how long has this been happening? He knows already, but he says from childhood. And the man says to him, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. He's saying to him, sir, your problem is not my ability. Your problem is not my willingness. Your issue is your faith. Your issue is that you don't believe that I am able to do all these things. If you come to me in faith, I can do all things beyond your imagination. How often do we have that same thought when we face the evil that is all around us? We see things in our neighborhoods. We see things in our schools. We see all these things. And we say, Lord, I know you can, but... I guess that's just the way it's going to have to be. And what Jesus reminds us is the same is true for us. As we face the battle with sin and temptation, as we face the push and pull, our problem is not that God lacks power. Our problem is not that He's unwilling. Our problem is our own unbelief. Do you believe that God is able to save these two neighborhoods? Amen. Do we believe that whatever issue may come up in our church, that it is greater is, is the power of God to solve that issue than any strategist or talking head could ever do? I do. I know you do. Do you believe that your family members who don't know Jesus, who are, who are serving the will of Satan, the Bible says, outside of Christ, are able to do it, that God can draw them? Yes. But we limit God in our hearts with the power of unbelief. And let me just give you four ways we do this very quickly. We limit in our hearts the power of unbelief in our hearts. God. And I'll leave that up for just a second. But these four things I'm going to give you in just a moment are things that are our unbelief that this man shows and, and the disciples show and we also need to recognize in our lives. What are some ways we have practical unbelief in our life today? Number one, prayerlessness. If you and I are never asking God for anything, it's a measure of our unbelief. We must know what God can give us and what we don't really know, or we really don't know who He is. God said, if you pray, I'll give you the nations. God said, if you pray anything in my name, I will give it to you. Man, I really want that Lamborghini. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual things. 
Church, I, 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 I will be honest with you. I am so convicted in this area. Prayerlessness runs rampant in my life more than I care to admit. It probably does in yours as well, if you're honest. Even as a pastor, that's sad to say. But the power is not in our strategies. The power is not in our conniving or methodology. The power is in the people of God praying before the holy God that we may believe the promises that he says. How can we stand up here every Sunday and preach and you listen so graciously every week because we know it's not by our ability, but it's by the prayers. God, would you shape this in this person's heart? Lord, I know I'm reading through this passage and I know this fits this person well. Don't take my words, but by your spirit, apply it to their hearts. But we don't believe because we don't pray. Secondly, we don't recognize God's greatness and his goodness. We have unbelief in our lives because we really don't believe Sometimes that God is able. We, we say it. But God, could you really save that evil person over there? Could you really heal that cancer? God, could you really do that? I mean, the doctor said no, so God, the, the door must be closed. Friends, there's no door, door closed until God takes them home. Amen? I don't know who was praying for the thief on the cross, but that great thief on the cross, someone's prayers were answered that day, right? You remember that story? He's on the cross, he's getting ready to die, and he tells his other thief over here, hey, you be quiet, shut up, stop. And what did Jesus tell him? Today, not after purgatory, not after baptism, not after good works or church attendance, today you will be with me in paradise. How great God is. You keep praying for those people in your life that need Jesus but you pray, some of you are facing such insurmountable odds in whatever it is, whether it's school, finances, work, family relationships, marital relationships, God's will is that our hearts and mouths confirm to his greatness. He is able to do above or beyond what we can ask or think. That is motivation for prayer. The third part of unbelief that we show, especially, and these are things that came out of this passage, is, is simply that there, is, there are people who prefer darkness to light. We should never think a non-Christian should act like a Christian. Do you think about that? How many times do we see something on the media and say, man, they should know better. You know what? The Bible says they really don't because they are dead in their sin. And as you pray for people and you hear about non-Christians who you shared the gospel with and you think, man, they heard the truth. Why aren't they responding to the truth? Because they are in darkness. If there's a dead man here, it doesn't matter if I speak in Swahili, if I speak in Hebrew, Greek, uh, Cherokee, uh, Pig Latin, English. Unless God's Spirit brings them and quickens their heart, they will never be able to see the truth. I don't know what these disciples did. They might have looked at that boy and said, look, uh, you know, in the name of Jesus, come up. They might have said, hey, get up, because Jesus said that. I don't know. But one thing I know is they forgot that the power they were facing was so evil that Christ himself had to come. They had unbelief because they had forgotten people were in darkness. And finally, we have unbelief in our lives sometimes when we have a distrust and a dislike of God himself. You know, many of you grew up without fathers in your life. Well, as far as physically present, actively involved, you came from broken homes where, where trusting is tough. And, when, and this is a true fact that many people who, 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 who come to God and they pray, Father, 
when they say that phrase, things come in their mind that remind them of their earthly father. And even from the get-go, from their Christian life, they feel like they cannot trust their father, even though they do, but they don't. You know what I mean? It's kind of there. It's kind of not. But sometimes, even if that hasn't happened to you, you've prayed about something, you've sought God for something, and you got, from a human standpoint, burned. Well, God, I don't understand why this didn't happen this way or that way or, or this. And there's a distrust. Well, if I pray about this, God's going to answer over here. And we start to grumble. God, I'm so sick of this. I, I'm not going to pray about it. I'm just going to go do something about it. And we end up getting ourselves in more trouble than not. Friends, we are so full of fear, anger, and distrust. Our faith should give confidence and hope to our friends. Do you believe that God can change this country? Amen? Do you believe that God can change your family, your neighborhood? Do you believe it? Yes! Our greatest hope is here. But these disciples had all four of these marks. And Jesus still said, let me show you my power. And so verse 24. After the statement that he can do all things, the Father says, I believe. Help me, thou in my unbelief, is what your old King James may say. I want to remind you, and, and, and Adam will put this up, that the burdens God sends are not to weaken our faith, but it's to break the back of unbelief in your life. When God puts something on you so heavy that you can't bear it, it is so heavy you can't bear it that the only place you can go is the one who can bear it. All right, you've all seen the Hallmark card, right? God will never give me more than I can handle. Hogwash. God gives you more than you can handle every single day of your life. Amen? And you know what? That's okay. Because if you didn't have things more than you can handle, what would you do? You would go do it yourself. Right? Please don't believe those cute little phrases you see on Facebook all the time. Share this 20 times and God will bless you. God gives you more than you can handle. Well, Darren, what about 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that says he'll give you a way out? Yeah, he'll give you a way out, but it's going to be after the fact that you've been burdened so heavy that there's nothing you can do but seek Christ. Church, we have burdens to bear in our church that are more heavy than we can ever bear ourselves. It doesn't matter who we get to be our worship pastor. It doesn't matter who we get to be the youth pastor or senior pastor. If we are not going before the Lord and saying, Lord, I believe but man, I'm struggling. Help my unbelief humbly that we will never see the power of God work through our lives here. We believe and we live by faith. Look, there are moments when we panic and we forget God is with us. There are moments when we panic in our strength and forget He's our only hope. There are moments when we live for His kingdom. There are moments when we'd rather have our own kingdom, if we're honest. There are moments when we love God's will and we love His way. And there are other moments when we just want our way with a side of fries, please, and a drink to go with it. Amen. There are moments when you're tempted to think you're better than God and you can do it better than Him. But praise God that there is even a bit of faith in us. And praise God there is belief. What this man is saying in front of all this evil that he sees is, Lord, I believe. I really do believe. Help me. Because my life is not picture perfect. I need your rescue. I need your strength and I'm in possession of a wandering heart, would you help me? And God said he would. Let's look at the last point, number three, the power of Christ 
This passage warns us against evil of evils. It warns us against our powerlessness to defeat evil. But finally, it shows the power of Christ over the demonic. Once again, look back at verse 26, if you will. He says, and after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it, that, that demon, that evil spirit came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. There is a picture of the power of Jesus. When Jesus talks to Satan, he must listen. Please do not buy Dante's Inferno, the book from the mid-centuries where Satan is like down in hell poking people with a pitchfork. That is not biblical. That's called Renaissance art. I'm not an art major. Go to Nelson Atkins to get that. But it's not true. Satan is going to be bound forever someday in hell. He's not going to be, you know, running around with a little pitchfork tail saying, ooh, 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 ooh. That, that's Hollywood. That's bad, right? Satan can do nothing unless God gives him permission. Well, I thought Satan had free reign to run the earth. No, Satan is like a, you know, those dog things, you know. We don't have a dog, but you know those leashes where it goes out, and eventually it goes. Satan can run wild all he wants, but God's already got him under lock and key. Praise God for that. That is the power of our God. He has ultimate power. There's no evil so evil that can defeat the power of our Savior. And nothing can separate us, as you will see up there, from God's love. Not height or death, angels, demons, beasts, ninja, samurais. Our God is omni-awesome. That is our God. Jesus, it says in Mark 1.31, would not permit the demons to speak. Not even Jesus' family understood who he was, but the demons got it. They got it. Demons, diseases will cease. Demons obey. The dead will rise at the mere word of Jesus Christ. That's why our greatest days of reaching people for Jesus in this church are ahead of us if we are faithful to that. If our trust is in getting the right people in the right places at the right time, we have missed the mark of what Christ is telling us here. Is that the power of Christ wins the day. The power of Christ, more than a seminary education, more than the brightest people we bring, is the foolishness, the weakness of the cross, which brings God glory. And the people think he's dead, and all Jesus does is lift up his hand, and the boy is well. Amen? Isn't that awesome? And what I want you to see as we close, and we are getting very close to closing, I promise you. What I want you to see and it's a bit of an elephant in the room, but it's a sort of an answered prayer that throws throughout the passage. The disciples can't wait to have that private conversation. They want to know, why could we not do this, Jesus? Look at verse 28. When he entered the house, Jesus is ready to lay down, but I'm sure he's just transfigured himself, and he deals with this. It's tiring. He's fully God, but he's also a man. And he says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Do you see what Jesus, he just, Jesus juked himself. Did you see that? Jesus just looks at these guys and said, boys, are, do you really understand what I'm telling you right now? The problem is you didn't pray. The problem was not the evil. The problem was not the unbelief of the father. The problem was not the scribes. The problem is you did not pray. Really? That's it? Can you, can you just think what the disciples are thinking right here? 
if you're a, if you're a writer, I, I, Nelson, I think your daughter on this who writes plays and does things like the, the 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 scene is closing here. The curtains are coming up to transition scenes. He leaves them with that. We don't see anything else about it because you know what? The disciples had nothing else to say. They did not pray. What did they do? They probably just thought they could say these magical words and this would happen, and it didn't. How could something so easy miss something so grand? You know, it's often said that the, prayer of a ch- uh, the, the strength of a church is determined by how many people show up at the prayer meeting. You ever heard that before? The more people that show up at the prayer meeting, the more power that's going in on that church. You say, this is what prayer does. It shouldn't surprise us that they forgot to pray. I mean, how do you, how do, you do that? But prayer calls you to abandon you and focus on Him. Prayer calls you to get out of your delusion of your strength and your wisdom and say, Lord, I can't do this, only you can. If I'm strong, if I'm able, then prayer makes no sense. You know in your Christian life the greatest, darkest times have been when you have been the weakest. But the most grand spiritual times you've ever had are when you are weak. I, you know, they say not to make sermons about yourself. I pray you don't see it this way. I went out for, I was supposed to do 17 miles yesterday, right? Marathon training is kicking my, my behind pretty easily this year. And I was so sick, I got through about a loop and a half of a five-mile loop, and I said, I am done. I'm getting old, I'm sick, and I am done. And it, 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 you feel so, God, I know I can do this. And that's what God needs to do to us sometimes spiritually. You need to be brought down low spiritually so you can see only that he is able to take everything that you have. And this is what these men failed to see. We are as desperately needy for the grace of Christ this morning as we are when we first believed. If we don't see that, then we've missed everything in this passage. There's a whole lot of prayerless Christianity. We would rather read our scriptures, and we should. We'd rather attend church, and we should. Friends, I... I, I I will tell you that this passage hits straight to us. We must. I mean, wise, let me, let me put this very practically. Wise, if you're going to your husband about a problem in your marriage, do you pray about it first? Do you pray that God would rescue you from the evil, would make things in that conversation go away that aren't helpful or honoring to God? And when you get an unexpected check in the mail, I mean, isn't that nice? And it's not from Publishing Clearinghouse or whatever that is. And... You thought, you, would, you thought you'd have just the normal paycheck, but you get more? What do you do with that? Do you ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Do you give it back? I mean, when you're riding a bike or, or taking your car to work or whatever you do, do you, and you're going to a place that's so godly, do you pray, God, I'm in foreign territory here. Would you help me? When you're parenting your children, and this one really got me this week as I wrote this out, do you push the way beyond the borders of your character, when God pushes you that way, do you pray about it? When that rebellious little one acts like he or she knows much more than you do and is pushing in that conversation, do you pray? When you are on your computer and it's been a source of temptation, do you pray before your fingers touch that keyboard? When you're dealing with a neighbor who wants to make his fence line five feet past the county line and, and makes your life difficult and mocks your faith, do you pray? Not just because it's the thing that Christians do, but we must realize that in praying that it is all that God has given us to overcome the things in front of us. That's why Paul told Timothy in 1 Thessalonians 
5.17, or, or Paul told the church in Thessalonica to pray and always do it without ceasing. Friends, I pray this morning, if there's one thing you take away in church, there's one thing we take away, that as we go forward to reach this neighborhood and reach our area for Jesus, and we grow as Christians, that we need to pray more. I would invite you, if you're able, I know this is not available for everyone, we meet on 8.30s on uh, Sunday mornings in the first classroom by the uh, uh, nursery over there. We'd love to have you join us. If you see those prayer requests through the week coming through, do you pray for them? Do you pray for God to work in them, not just for health, but for spiritual growth as well? I will submit to you that our greatest days are ahead as long as we follow Christ, especially in prayer. May it not be said of Tower View, may it not be said of any of us, that we have all of our ducks in a row, but we never prayed. Prayer is not about us. It's about relationship to Christ. We want to know the good news? Jesus goes on next week, and they still don't get it. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) But he's still faithful to them. What a great God we serve. Will you pray with me this morning? Fathers, we come before you. We are reminded so much of this passage. There's so much that can be said. But Lord, I pray the greatest rebuke and warning that we have is that simply we are not the people of prayer that we need. For some here that may be praying as they travel to work 15 or 20 minutes away just to get start and pray in a different way. For some, that may be taking part of their lunch break or, or getting up earlier or staying up later or, or whatever. Father, let us not just pray to be religious. Let us pray because in the power and the name of Jesus alone can we have assurance that we have everything we need. Father, may our church, may you stir within us a continual desire to be a praying church. Desire a a church, Lord, that we would see and not just celebrate prayer requests coming through to pray for, but answer prayer. Thank you for answering prayer this week and so many health concerns that we prayed for, for people who are on the list that you've taken off or moved to a better place. Lord, in terms of care, thank you for that. Father, help us. We, We believe, but help us in our unbelief. We pray these things in Jesus' name.